Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Hey guys, it's Jeremy Warner, Alana Enquirer Publisher. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, and thank you to all of our great VIP members, our podcast listeners, our YouTubers. We appreciate you a lot. But the lifeblood of all of this is our VIP memberships. The 5,000 plus of you, we cannot thank you enough for your support that allows us to operate the way that we do, to hire good employees like Joey Wagner, Derek Piper, and everybody else, and to do this for a living, to travel with the Alana and cover the team the way we think your team should be covered. And right now, if you are not a VIP member, I suggest you do because it is the best deal of the year. Our Black Friday sale, 75% off your first year of a VIP membership to Alana Inquire. That is more than $90 of savings. So for just seven cents a day, 52 cents a week, and $224 a month, $27 for the entire year, you can get the best Alana coverage there is. So I encourage you, sign up right now at alanainquire.com. We have the links all up there for you to see for a VIP membership. Thank you all. Happy Thanksgiving. And let's get to the podcast. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. Welcome into the Alana Choir podcast. Hope you guys are all enjoying family, feasting, and football. And we're going to talk some more football because we have Illinois versus Northwestern for a bowl game for the Land of Lincoln Trophy. And we, today, on the Alana Choir podcast, we preview Illinois at Northwestern. Talk a little bit about the Northwestern Wildcats with one of my favorite national writers, Inside Zones, Matt Fortuna. He's based out of Chicago and started up his own company now, the Inside Zone. And I am a happy subscriber to the Inside Zone. Really appreciate Matt's writing. And uh, he talks about Northwestern, their surprise season. David Braun getting the full-time job, the challenges ahead for him and what he's done so well in his first year coaching in any position at the FBS level. And we talk a little bit about Illinois, but also talk about the coaching carousel that is going on right now, the transfer portal upcoming, to kind of get a national perspective of college football this week on the Alana Inquirer podcast. And then Joey Wagner and I do our six-pack of questions leading into Northwestern. We talk about 
the senior class. We talk about what concerns us, what uh, are reasons for optimism going to Northwestern. We talk about what this bowl game means and the NFL draft decisions upcoming for Illinois football. So sit back, relax, enjoy the rest of your Thanksgiving weekend. Enjoy the Illinois Northwestern game. We'll get you ready for it next on the On Enquirer podcast. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. All right, time to get some uh, national insight uh, on the On Enquirer podcast on college football. And it's our guy, Matt Fortuna from the Inside Zone. Matt, how you doing? Uh, we're in November, man. This is where it, uh, where we get tested. <laughs> Yeah, September's for pretenders and November's for contenders. I get that right. Um, I'm good, man. It, it's been a wild season. And yet, you know, you look up, it's the day before Thanksgiving. I'm like, it still goes by way too quick. You yeah. know, like uh, half the teams of the country, they're going to be done after this weekend. And uh, some of them are going to be in the market for new coaches. And it, it's just, you know, the, the busy season, I think, for, for me and you in some ways really starts now. Mm-hmm. But as far as just like the enjoyment of like fall Saturdays, it's always a little bittersweet when you get to this point of, of the calendar. Well, Illinois hosting Northwestern uh, on the final week of the season. That will continue. Uh, we'll see schedule-wise, but uh, that, that rivalry will continue. But Northwestern goes into this week bowl eligible, and they go in with a new coach, David Braun. Why was he kept long-term, and, and what have you learned about him so far, Matt? Yeah, Jeremy, I, I learned a lot. I don't think anyone really knew a whole lot about him. I talked to someone uh, who was not a defensive player, uh, later in this season and I said what did you know about David Braun you know before he became your head coach he said I didn't even know who he was mm-hmm. and he said the first thing David Braun did when he got the interim job back in the summer was walk into the meeting room and say show of hands how many of you came to Northwestern to play for Pat Fitzgerald and pretty much every hand went up and it was like all right that's what I thought and we've got some work to do here right like there's a big trust issue going on with everything at Northwestern from top to bottom and, and the way David Braun was able to, to repair that trust at least in the locker room uh, first and foremost was, was was very very impressive and then to go out there and win six games I mean this is a program that you know 
independent of everything that happened off the field, I had very low expectations for, and I think everyone did. I think their over-under in Vegas was three wins, and Mm -hmm. even that seemed like a bit of a stretch given that they won just one game last season. So, uh, you know, they they played much better on offense. They played much looser, and I think what's been lost in all this, look, the Big Ten West, it, it, it... let's call it what it has been a glorified Mac this year. Uh, but, but, you know, Northwestern, if one of those games, particularly the Iowa game goes another way, they're in Indy and Northwestern has gone to six wins without their starting quarterback for a big chunk of the season. And we've seen the difference with Ben Bryant under center. And he was not there for that Iowa game or that Nebraska game, both of which were, were close losses. So uh, it, it's a team that's played together. Uh, it's a team that I think has, has gotten the most out of its, its talents, so to speak. And you look back at David Braun, this is a guy who had zero experience playing or coaching at the FBS level, really at any position whatsoever. And for him to come in there and, and rally the troops, so to speak, and take them to their best season in at least three years is really, really impressive. And when you look at the job, too, I mean, let's face it, it's a tough job, again, under normal circumstances. Uh, I think there was a sense of, hey, let's not screw this up. We got a guy who wants to be here. Yeah. who everyone is rallied behind, who's proven he can do it, um, you know, with a staff he didn't hire either. He's already said, I'm going to hire a defense coordinator. I'm sure he'll make some changes on the offensive side of the ball as well. I, I think he earned the chance to prove what he can do long-term at this job, which, again, is a tough job that's going to get even tougher without the Big Ten West next year and at a program that's going to be homeless for at least the next two years after the the expected demolition of Ryan Field. Yeah, he's earned probably Big Ten Coach of the Year. I think he'll get that no matter who wins the East. I I think the guy who wins the East should probably be considered, but Jim Harbaugh probably will not be. Harbaugh's not going to get it. If Jay <laughs> wins it, he might, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see on that. But he's earned this opportunity, as you said. But what are his challenges as a guy who this is his first year, as you said, in the F- FBS as a coach? Yeah, he's got to hire a staff first and foremost. I don't know how many of those guys will will be back. Um, you know, he said he's going to hire a DC. I imagine he's going to make a change at OC. I think Mike Bajakian's kind of been kind of the, the target, if you will, by the fan base for all that's gone wrong with this program. And and you know, for, for better or for worse, he was not fired after last year when they they cleaned house. Um, and you saw the offense at times really struggle this season. Uh, I'll be curious what he's allowed to do, so to speak. And I say that because there are some guys on that staff who were there when the, the yeah. hazing allegations were alleged to have happened. And so, uh, you know, what, what's he allowed to do? Matt McPherson is a guy whose name was brought up in a number of different lawsuits. Is he allowed to keep Matt McPherson on staff moving forward? I don't know. So I'll be curious, you know, who, who's guiding him, uh, how he handles the, the the big chair now that it's fully his to own, so to speak, for the next four or five years, and, and how he recruits to a program that is going to be playing a bunch of different uh, places over the next two years. You know, there, there will be a new, bigger and better Ryan Field. Uh, but you, yeah, it's college athletics. These things, we could say it'll be open in 2026 between construction costs, Evanston politics, and everything else going on in the world. Who really knows when that stadium will actually open? And uh, we saw it with the men's basketball team after they made the, the tournament. You know, they renovated their stadium. They played, uh, I believe it was at uh, Allstate Arena out by the airport. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's why they were terrible that year, but you saw the wear and tear that took on that program having to bus far two home games every single day. And so uh, for better or for worse, Northwestern is familiar with this kind of process before, and hopefully they have some protocols and safeguards in place to alleviate the the, the kind of challenges of not really having a home base. For, for Illinois fans that haven't caught them, man, I know you probably caught a game or two. Like, what do you think about this team? Why have they had success? Like, what challenges do they provide, Illinois? 
they're playing much better defensively and they're 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 competent on offense yeah. in a way that they have not been in years past and really it didn't look that promising early in the season we saw them get shut out for 59 minutes in the opener at Rutgers, which, look, Rutgers has turned out to be a much better football team than I think a lot of us thought they would be going into the year. But they were tied with UTEP at halftime. UTEP's one of the worst teams of the country. Uh, and and they, were, they were down by a lot against Minnesota before they had a, a pretty crazy fourth-quarter comeback and ended up winning overtime. I think Ben Bryant, when he's in there, has brought a, a level of, of professionalism uh, to that offense and to that position. I mean, you look at the quarterback play at Northwestern, outside of that one-year rental of Peyton Ramsey during the pandemic year of 2020, they have been awful at that position ever since Clayton Thorson graduated in 2018. So I think that has helped things out a lot as well. And, and defensively, they're, they're, they're older. They're not making the mistakes that they made last year under the previous regime. And they're playing together, and they're, they're winning the turnover battle more often than not. And I think they, they've gone out of their own way. And, again, you look at pretty much every Big Ten West game, really the last month or two, I don't care who's in it. They're all pretty close, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you saw that – you've seen that the last, what, three weeks, right, with Minnesota, um, with, uh, with Iowa, and with Indiana as well. And you're seeing it with every game Nebraska's in is coming down to the wire. Every game Wisconsin is in, with the exception of the Northwestern one, seems to come down to the wire. Uh, it, it's a league where the margin for error is very, very small, and Northwestern's done a really good job of, of winning those margins. Matt, I know you've been from afar, but I, I always like the – the view from afar of Illinois football following up an eight and four, eight and five season with a, a season where they got to win the last game to get into a bowl game. What have you thought of Illinois? Yeah, I can't believe early early in the year. I just could not believe how bad they were on offense. Like to see a Brett Bielema team, like the Nebraska games, the first thing that comes to mind when I think of the low points of this year. To see a Brett Bielema team just struggle to to gain even a yard when they needed it on the ground was just something I did not think I would ever see. Now defensively, they've been pretty damn good as you would expect with the talent on that side of the ball um but but given how down the west is this year i thought they'd be a game or two at least better than they are so far and it, it looks like they may have found something with paddock at quarterback Altmeyer, unfortunately just seemed like a turnover machine i mean the only game i saw in person was that penn state one they turned over five times and it could have been a lot worse penn state dropped a couple picks that game as well and that was disappointing to see. So it was uncharacteristic in that regard. But I do think you look defensively, they lost a lot from last year. They lost a lot of the coaching staff from that side of the ball from last year. And I thought they played pretty darn well for the most part through 11 games there. So I think that's encouraging. I'm not worried at all long term. I mean, Brett Fieldman knows what he's doing, especially when it comes to the offensive line. I think they'll be just fine moving forward. But I'd be lying if I say I wasn't disappointed by yeah. you know how inept they looked in certain games this year. Just trying to fall forward and gain a yard or two when they needed it. How important do you think making a bowl game is for, for Illinois to, to win this game and, and what it means for Brett Bielema moving forward? I, I think it's very big, regardless of what the game is, who the opponent is. To get those 15 extra practices with, with a group of guys that will, will come back next year, I, I think that really matters. I think that really matters at a program like Illinois and uh, like a lot of those teams in the West, which, again, is not going to have the Big Ten West to hide in and beat up on next year. I mean, the schedule's... Uh, are, are going to become extremely difficult moving forward for everyone in the Big Ten when they play in an 18-team conference next year. So I think to, to, to you know, I wouldn't say showing progress because you're not going to have the same record you did last year, but but to not take that step back, right, mm -hmm. to go from being on the brink of going to Indy to missing a bowl outright, I, I, I think that's good for the long-term overall health of the program moving forward. 
you said Brett Bielma, you're not worried about him long term. What, what gives you that faith? Why why should Illinois fans have faith that the Brett Bielma will keep this program? The word I would say is consistently competitive. Right. I, I think yeah, that, that's I think the perfect phrase to describe. It. I mean, the guy's been there and done that. Right. Even you know he got fired from Arkansas, but I don't think he was bad there. I mean, he, he Arkansas's been pretty there. bad since then too. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, they, they they've really struggled since since uh, he left. Um, the guy knows what it takes to win in the Big Ten. He knows what it takes to win in the Big Ten West. And, you know, I thought when they hired him, yeah, this guy is going to stabilize this thing. They should be at least a, a bullish team every year moving forward. And you look at last year, and that was just year two, and they, they for a long stretch of the season, looked far and away like the best team in the West. And um, seeing how quickly he turned that thing around and seeing the buy-in from everyone in the locker room, uh, I, I think gives me a lot of confidence in the guy moving forward. All right, Matt, we're, we're getting into crunch time for the college football playoff race. And if you're if you're the committee, you're the CFP committee, what would make your job easy and what would make your job really, really difficult in these last couple of weeks? It's crazy, right, Jeremy? I mean, last year, I, I go back to last year, and you really, I mean, look, TCU made the national title game, good for them, but, like, the, the conference championship weekend ends and you're like, all right, I guess we got to put TCU in, even though they lost. Oh, Ohio State, I know you just got killed by Michigan, but come back in, you're in. Like, it felt like you almost had to beg team, not beg teams, but like, you know, yeah. you had to really look to find four teams that belonged. Whereas this year, I mean, we've got five undefeated Power 5 teams entering the final weekend of the regular season, and you've got a number of one-loss teams whose resumes are off the charts. I mean, as far as what will make it easy, you need Georgia to beat Alabama just to knock, knock out Alabama and eliminate any discussion of two SEC teams and having Alabama versus Texas and, and so forth. Um, I think Washington winning out would be great. Um, not, I think Oregon's probably in if they beat an undefeated Washington, but I think it's, you know, there's no argument whatsoever mm-hmm. if it's undefeated Washington and undefeated Pac-12 champion. Uh, I think if Florida State lost, whether this week against Florida or the week later uh, against Louisville, with both of which are possible without Jordan Travis, that will eliminate that discussion, right? Because I think you can't keep out an undefeated power five champion, even without their quarterback. And yet there are going to be other teams that think they are in a better position than Florida state is without Jordan Travis. And if you eliminate Florida state altogether, that makes that discussion a little bit easier as well. So I think you got Georgia then in that case, you've got the PAC 12 champion, assuming it is one or zero loss and it's Oregon or Washington. Uh, you've got, you know, the Michigan Ohio state winner, assuming they beat Iowa, that's three. And then you've got, if Texas wins out, they're going to be in, I think. Right, I mean, twelve and one, Big Twelve champ, double-digit road win over Alabama, and you're not having a resume comparison with Alabama or Florida State. I think that's would 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 make things easiest for the committee. And these things tend to have a way of working themselves out. That said, Florida State can easily win these next two games by a razor-thin margin and be right there in the mix. Uh, Alabama, I, I, I'm I don't think they'll beat Georgia, but I didn't think they beat them two years ago either, and they did, and two SEC teams got in the playoff that year. That's going to make it very interesting. And then Oregon's a really interesting one to me because I think when you talk about the eye test, you look at that team and you think they could beat anyone. They look like the best team in the country certain weeks. And yet you look at that resume, this is going to be their, assuming they beat Oregon State, that's going to be their first win of a team that's currently ranked. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the Utah has fallen off a little bit. Um, Texas Tech wasn't the team we thought they would be. And at some point, the games on the field have to matter. I mean, the look-ahead line, I think, is Oregon as a touchdown favorite over Washington, which seems a little much for me just because we saw that game unfold. And even though Oregon seemed to lose it more than Washington won it, you got to give Washington credit for winning so many different ways against a great schedule week in and week out. So 
that one will be very interesting if he comes down between Oregon and, and, and another team outside the Pac-12 because, again, I think Oregon on the eye test alone deserves to be there. I don't know if they have the resume, though. Right. I agree with you. Is there any way uh, Ohio State or Michigan, the loser, backs in to this? I would say no, but you know it happened last year, right? right? And I would think Ohio State has a better chance as a loser just because they had that non-conference win over Notre Dame, whereas Michigan essentially punted on their non-conference right. schedule altogether. I think if they lose, they're out altogether. Um, so I, if it's going to be one team, I think it would be Ohio State. But you're going to need complete chaos happening everywhere in order for that to happen. And uh, it could happen. It has happened before. But there's so many. There's eight or nine teams now entering the final regular season weekend that have a legitimate shot of making the four-team playoff, which, you know, to, to extrapolate to next year, you can only imagine how crazy it's going to be when we're probably talking about 20 teams entering the final weekend with a chance to make it. It's firing season, Matt, and we've seen several jobs open up already. Uh, I would imagine Texas A&M, probably the top job. Michigan State uh, up there as well. What do you make of this carousel so far? Yeah, you know, I mean, I know A&M has not – won anything of note in about 25 years that being said if you're gonna get paid 77 million dollars in a worst case scenario to not work you can't convince me that's not a great job like there are good coaches there who are who will say sign me up for that immediately uh right now and again i say right now it doesn't look like it will be as busy as recent years have been i mean it took until texas a&m fire jimbo fisher uh, a little more than a week ago to have an in-season firing for performance related reasons which is pretty crazy it's been at least a decade since we've gone that long without any in-season firings that being said if they go big game hunting and they get a coach from you know I, i'm not saying they're gonna get these guys but if they were to get a mike norvell or a dan landing or a kaylin abor that's gonna have a domino effect on the industry um look michigan is a wild card mm-hmm. because they've got a great head coach who's going to be a, going to have been suspended for half of this season is going to be under ncaa investigation and it was tried to get an nfl job each of the last two years if he succeeds this time all of a sudden you've got another big job in michigan uh, that that's going to be a market mover. So uh, you're always wary uh, of one major domino to fall and just kind of screw it up for everything else. Like I don't think Ohio State's in the business of firing coaches, but if Ryan Day loses Tron Moore, life's going to be very, very miserable for yes. him in Columbus outside of his $10 million a year salary, right? Does he say, hey, you know what? I'm a New England guy and Bill Belichick's going to get retired, get fired. Am I going to go back home and become the head coach of the Patriots? That's yeah. easier said than done. But, but that's one of those chaotic scenarios I look at where I think, okay, Ohio State opens. Do they then hire Marcus Freeman? And then does Notre Dame open? And then, you know, it's just you can play this game on and on. But right now, again, Michigan's such a wild card, it's hard to, to forecast what's going to happen there. Uh, but but right now, it, it it's stabler than it's been at this time of the year in recent years. How good is that Michigan State job? You know, kind of like Texas A&M, I think you look at it and you say, you paid the last guy $95 million and he wasn't particularly good and he got fired immediately. Now, I don't think they'll be paying that much. I I think it's a good job, but, you know, and, and I, I don't say this to take away from all they accomplished under Mark D'Antonio, but their best years came when Penn State and Michigan were down, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and you've seen those like – Penn State's in that problem right now, right? Oh, Franklin, blah, blah. I'm like, guys – it's not a better job than Michigan Ohio State. And if you go 10-2 and two every year with those being your only two losses, I know that's not satisfactory, but you're right. not going to find someone who's going to do better. And I feel that way about Michigan State when those three programs are operating at the level they're at right now. And when you're bringing in four pretty good programs in some cases uh, next year. But it's a Big Ten job. It will pay well. 
And in the 12-team playoff era, I think, you know, if you get the right guy there, you can get you can compete for playoff berths more year than more years than not. So I do think it's a really good job. That being said, it's a top 10 Big Ten job. I don't know if it's a top seven Big Ten job with the new Big Ten, right? And yet it's Big Ten, it's SEC, and it's everyone else when it comes to good jobs. Yeah, top 10 now has a lot more meaning. <laughs> it's, top, it's not just uh, bottom five or bottom six right. anymore with 18 teams. Uh, Matt, before I let you go, Transfer Portal opens up December 4th. Is this going to be crazy? Like, is uh, what, what do you make of this? What do you hear from people about what they think the Transfer Portal is going to be like as we are full couple years in this NIL era? I think it'll be crazy, and I think there, there may be a cause and effect of why we haven't seen so many in-season firings because when you've seen that the last couple of years in the portal, portal era, it becomes open season on that roster immediately, and I, I think you're seeing a little bit of a, a stabilizing effect, if you will, by, by not moving until the end of the season. But I'm sure it'll be crazy. There will be coaches who get fired. There will be tampering. Uh, you know, Dave Clawson made some headlines uh, earlier this week talking about Notre Dame buying or, or renting – Sam Hartman and you know that's gone under the skin of some Notre Dame people to which I say yeah we're going to be in the market for a quarterback again at Notre Dame and this guy made millions and he lost three games imagine what you'll make here if you bring us to the playoff or win a championship so I, I still think you know <laughs> there's this like dirty connotation with money and NIL and stuff and it's like all this stuff's legal now like yeah. you should embrace it right and we know A&M will embrace it they embrace it under Jimbo Fisher um so I, I think the portal will be every bit as crazy as, as it's always been. Um, I think tampering will be out of control because there's no way to really wrap your arms around that part of it. Um, and until there's some change to the recruiting calendar, I don't see any. I don't see how that toothpaste toothpaste gets put back in that bottle, so to speak. Matt Fortuna, the Inside Zone. Check him out. I'm a satisfied customer. Matt, where can they find you? Uh, yeah, InsideZoneMF.com. I'm on Twitter, Matt underscore Fortuna, and on Instagram at InsideZoneMF. Jeremy, appreciate the support. Always enjoy hopping on with you and reading your stuff. And uh, I'm sure it'll be a busy offseason for you. Probably a little bit busier uh, than last year, even though you guys lost uh, your defense coordinator. Yeah, as always. Matt, appreciate the time, man. Thanks, Jeremy. You've heard us talk about home field apparel since the start of the season. There are a lot of collegiate apparel brands out there, but we wanted to partner with Home Field because their designs are the best out there. Some of Illini Enquirer's favorites are the Basketball Ringer Tee, the Rose Tee, and the 1980s Long Sleeve with the Script Illini. It's great. Be sure to check out homefieldapparel.com, filter by Illinois, and see what we're talking about. And our listeners get an exclusive deal using code Illini23. Using that code Illini23 gets you 15% off your first order. We all know you're wearing Illini gear, so if you're in need of a refresh, we really think that you should check out Home Field Apparel, which has the best designs, and these shirts, guys, are really comfortable. Their designs are super unique, and a lot of thought goes into each concept. There's really nothing else on the market like what Home Field is doing. You can find them at homefieldapparel.com and use code Illini23 for 15% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. 
Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, let's preview Illinois against Northwestern. It's Joey Wagner. We got our six-pack of questions. Joey, how are you, man? I'm good, man. We're doing this early on a Wednesday, a little schedule change. Not This is not my um, schedule window like it is yours, but we're good. Yeah, it feels like we don't have a lot of like breaking news to get to with Brett Bielma, whether he talks about the quarterback or not. So unless he has like a big switch up for us at, at quarterback on Saturday, um, which I don't think is happening. He's kind of said that John Paddock will be the guy. It, it doesn't feel like we got any late additions here we need to talk about. No, not really watching many injuries, to my knowledge, at least going into the injury report two hours before the game. Everything seems kind of settled. Uh, we know who's out for the season. We know that, I guess, Zach Toby would be someone to, to ask about today, but otherwise, pretty pretty level on that front. Before we get to our questions, Kanena Odaluga out for the season, ankle injury. Caden Fagan out for the season, shoulder surgery this week. Um, this team's banged up, man. Uh, you know, at certain positions, especially running back, they're down to to really one guy of their top five with Reggie Love. Uh, thank goodness he came back uh, after his injury, and then Kanana Odaluga forcing James Cruz obviously into into a bigger role. And uh, you know, obviously James Cruz has shown some flashes, but struggled at times against Iowa with that pass interference penalty. And uh, but uh, they're getting this is the end of the season, Joey, and everybody's got injuries, but uh, Illinois certainly beat up at running back. Oh, the running back injuries. I, I actually, as you were talking, tried to – it's worse than they had in the secondary a year ago, right? Yeah. Yeah, because last year – I mean, last year you were down to what? Xavier Scott had to play corner. Uh, you had to throw young guys out there, but you still had a lot of bodies. I mean, you're down to one scholarship guy who was there at the beginning of training camp. Yeah, and last year was kind of um, heightened in the bowl game when Devin Witherspoon and Sidney Brown opted out. So that kind of – and they weren't injuries, but they, they were not playing in that game. This is cra- – I mean, I don't remember – you covered it longer, but a year where one room has been so destroyed like this by injuries. And, and it doesn't help matters that running – you know, you have 12, 13, 14 offensive linemen. You've typically got four running backs, so five running backs. So when you get down to it, the numbers are smaller, but man – even guys we thought could be fringe rotation guys who would have stepped, Caden Fagan, who would have stepped into a bigger role. That's not there. It's, it's, it's a wild string of injuries there. All right, Joe, let's get into these questions. Uh, you got it out of Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph that they will not be returning for another season. So uh, how do these NFL draft decisions uh, impact the Illini program? We'll start off with that one. Well, these two – felt like a foregone well, we'll start with Johnny and Keith right these two felt like a foregone conclusion and I 
the injuries with Keith Randolph this year maybe made you wonder, like, would he would he be interested in the sixth year? First of all, six years is a long time in college. Like, I understand when when people on the outside, when, when people who aren't entering their sixth year of college look at us, like, well, you got another year. What? Man, that's a long time. And, and a lot of these guys have professional aspirations, whether that's football or whether that's going and doing something and making a lot of money somewhere else. Um, it's, it's just a long time to be in college. So these two felt pretty much we knew coming into it that this was their last year, definitely as Johnny Newton continued to move up the draft boards and then Keith Randolph really the same. But then you get behind those two and it's Isaiah Williams. It's Seth Coleman. It's to a degree, I guess, Tip Ryman uh, as, as you get in there. Those are probably the next big three, right? Yeah. And Isaiah Williams is certainly, to me, and really the way Seth Coleman's played, but Isaiah Williams, to me, feels like a tier of his own right now in terms of, of a major impact decision. So maybe I'm missing someone, Jeremy, but those are the three big ones to watch. No, Johnny Newton is, is no surprise. I, I said last year, like, he had no reason to come back to college. <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> but, but he did. Like, he had a reason. Like, he probably would have been a third-round pick. I don't understand why, uh, based on what I saw last year. But uh, he would have been. That That's kind of where he was graded. Now he's a first-round pick. I've seen him in the top ten, the ESPN guys, who I respect uh, what they do. Jordan Reed, Matt Miller, uh, Kuiper, all those guys had him number eight in their latest mock draft, which is – What team? Oh, the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> Um, I, I, hey, that good for him. I, I would, I would love it for Johnny. But uh, Keith Randolph, like Keith, would have gone if Johnny would have gone last year. I, I truly believe that. Um, I, I don't know if he's raised his stock a ton because of the injury, but I think people know who Keith Randolph is over the last two years of of all Big Ten caliber kind of play. Uh, and I think he'll be at least a day three draft pick. Obviously, he was an Isaiah Adams and Julian Pearl, but. You broke, broke it down there. Like I think Tip Ryman comes back. I, I like Tip Ryman a lot. I still think he needs to prove a little bit more, um, and I think he'll take advantage of that extra year to try and improve that stock a little bit more. Again, six years is a long time. Or would he be five? He'd be six, I believe. I think he'd be six. Um, but Isaiah Williams is, is the big one. Uh, Seth Coleman is a huge one. You're seeing what Seth Coleman can be over these last five games with six sacks. And, and to get him back, if you can get him – and Gay Backus and Denzel Daxon all back. Like that, that's a good start to your defensive line. Obviously, you have other needs you got to address. But Isaiah Williams is the number one priority for Icon. Like he is, if you bring him back and put him alongside Luke Altmyer in a running back room that needs to get healthy but is really talented. And if you can put together an, a solid offensive line again, which Brett Bielma usually does, um, and, and it's played well here the last five games. That's an offense you can build around. Uh, with so many questions on defense next year, I think that offense could be really good if you get Isaiah Williams back with Pat Bryan and you hope Malik Elzey and Ashton Hollins take a, a big step forward. Uh, I, I think Isaiah Williams is not a guaranteed draft pick from what I have seen. You know, He's got questions about his speed. I think we saw that two weeks ago when he got caught from behind by a cornerback, but he's an electric playmaker. Can he improve his stock a lot more as, as a 60-year guy? I'm not sure. But he could rewrite the record books. And, and let's be honest, he can make a lot of money coming back to college. And, and I don't know what guaranteed he would have in the NFL. So that's going to be a fascinating conversation between him and Icon and Brett Okay, Two points I want to circle to, and I want to ask your opinion on, on Keith Randolph. Because like Johnny Newton, when, when he goes through the pre-draft process, his tape, his production, all that, he's going to be a first-round pick. But somebody somewhere is going to say, yeah, he doesn't have – these measurables, right? Like that's yeah. going to be part of the discussion. It's not going to ultimately matter. Keith Randolph does. So I, to me, I wonder, 
I think he's going to test fairly well. He's a really athletic kid guy at this point. I, I wonder if there's in the same way, and I might be wrong, so correct me, the way that Quan Martin, when he tested and people got eyes and they dug into his tape, I'm not saying Keith Randolph's going to move to a second-round pick, but I think he's somebody who you could see his stock as you get into this pre-draft process rise up. Maybe I'm wrong, Jeremy, but I, I think yeah. once you get past the injuries this year and the, the rest of the body of work, he could be a guy who moves up. Obviously, what makes Johnny Newton so special is at, at 6'2", 295, he's really strong for his size. Like That's a big man, but like usually it's like 6'5", 320-pound guys that get drafted in the first round, right? Uh, he's got great strength, great hands, uh, but it's that burst. It's that acceleration, that ability to chase down quarterbacks. That pass rush ability is what makes him so special. Keith doesn't have that. Like, like he's not going to chase down a ton of quarterbacks, like – you know, going down the line of scrimmage, whatever it is. But he is built how they are built as five techniques, a 3-4 defensive end in the league, and he's very stout against the run. It's just I, I didn't see him healthy for a bunch of this year, and uh, we didn't see that quick twitch athleticism a ton. But, yes, he is an athletic player that I think will be valued by, by the NFL. It's just the upside is probably more starter, than star and that's where johnny newton obviously uh, has the edge so yeah I, I do think he can improve in workouts i don't know if that's to the point of a day two pick second or third round right. but I, I could see him going early day three um based on what he's done at illinois and uh just the versatility uh he can provide to the nfl and my second point the way we're discussing what, what could be on the table for isaiah williams reminds me a lot of the discussion around Kofi Coburn a few years ago only I I think Isaiah has more of a future in the NFL than, than obviously we've seen Kofi have in the NBA but but the discussion is a lot is very very similar in a lot of ways come back break every record and he would mm-hmm. a healthy season for Isaiah Williams I've got it in a notebook that's going to publish later today after we talk to Bielma very much on the table for, for him to go up there and pass David Williams and all the records come back and probably do pretty well financially. Not probably. You're coming back. If you're coming back, you're doing pretty well financially. And then see if you can improve your stock and go. But He's going to be in the NFL one way or the other, whether that's a camp invite as an undrafter or a late-round yeah. pick. But I, I feel like there's a lot of parallels in the way in the scenarios laid out between him and Kofi Coburn. Yeah, and I do think Isaiah would get to the point where some team, they meet with him. They, they look at the film and say... He's going to win every single interview. Yeah. This, every single interview. This guy's worth a sixth-round pick, right? Like, yes. I, I, But, again, that's not a guaranteed roster spot. Like, that, that is not guaranteed roster spot. And at Illinois, he would make six figures, right? Uh, and be the face of the team and um, be one of the best players in the Big Ten coming back next year. So, uh, he's got a really fascinating decision to make the, the other two guys i just want to mention reggie love i would expect him to come back he's got a sixth year of eligibility griffin moore is another one I'm, I'm just interested where that goes he's got a sixth year of eligibility uh hasn't made a huge impact here down the stretch um as a you know, tanner arkin's gotten a little bit more playing time henry boyer's gotten some playing time but just another one I'm, I'm interested to see uh what they decide number two joey what impact did this senior class have on the illini and i'll go first here i think they gave bielma time Right, um, they might be viewed. That might be viewed later. Whether Illinois wins this game and gets to a bowl game, because obviously these guys were huge impacts on that. But Julian Pearl, Isaiah Adams, Johnny Newton, Keith Randolph, those guys coming back made sure this wasn't an absolute rebuild year. And, and Illinois goes two and ten or three and nine or something like that. And it gives them another year of NFL draft success. I mean, Pearl, Ad, or Adams, Newton, and Randolph, all senior bowl invites, they'll all get drafted. 
those guys will all get drafted so you get two years of back-to-back nfl draft success that helps on, on the recruiting trail of course but but the one guy i want to mention is i feel like casey washington epitomizes um what these guys meant more, more than anything uh he originally left transferred to wake forest then came back earned his spot had to prove himself to brett bielma after leaving uh, but he raves about this staff he got way better the last couple years uh, and made a really positive impact on the, on the program so while those nfl guys really stand out to me i, I believe like casey washington a guy who originally didn't think this would be the right fit for him comes back uh, and has success and has had a really good final season here uh, at illinois i, I think that guy brett Bean will probably get as emotional about as anybody yeah, I'm with Casey. I'm glad Casey Washington is getting a shine here because we, we've kind of heard a little, you know, throughout the years really about his value to the room. But there's always been someone else to talk about, right? Whether it's Isaiah Williams, Tommy DeVito, Chase Brown, the, the whole secondary starting to get a shine, and he, he's so valuable for that locker room and who they are. If if he wanted to stick around as a GA, I don't know what's in the cards for him. Brett Bielma would move him out, and I think to bring him to keep him around that program. He, he's so valuable to them, and we've got to admit, like before the season, we sat here and said, "Could Malik Elsey come up and, and snag his spot?" And Casey Washington has played his butt off to not only keep that spot, to continue to earn trust. For that rotation has shrunk down, and he's not a guy who comes in and out of it. And he played; he's played really well. He, yeah, he's played. Just to your point, well. Casey Washington. Right now, 40 catches, 452 yards, and a touchdown. He is 19th in the Big Ten in receiving yards. I did not predict that. No. Good for him. Like, that is that is what Brett Bielema wants his program to be about. It's everything that Casey Washington has done this year. I'm a little surprised he wasn't selected as a team captain. I think that's all for – that really doesn't carry a lot of value now because I think his voice is impactful as any of those six guys who were elected as a captain in that room. But then you get to the NFL guys, Jeremy, and yeah, it it gave Brett Bielema and this coaching staff talent to get this thing off the ground. Yeah. Now, you you can argue it's not where you want it to be as a fan, whatever the case, after a breakthrough year last year, and, and now you are you need a win to get to a bowl game. But without those guys, if those guys decide, nah, some, somewhere else is – Isaiah Williams, if he wants to go play quarterback somewhere else – and not move to wide receiver. George McDonald said he took a leap of faith on us. Yeah. And we did him. And if that doesn't happen, this is a different like his value, the value of Keith Randolph, Johnny Newton, Julian Pearl, Isaiah Adams is the guy they brought in, not trying to minimize what he's like. That's helped give Illinois a base to to get this program to at least a hint of sustainability to, to the possibility of back to back bowl games. That's huge. And I think those guys that we're talking about are guys who whose voices matter, who Brett Bielema is going to sob when he's asked about or when he sees them coming out. Like, it, there's a reason they wanted those guys back. And Brett Bielema didn't have to take those guys back either. Right now, if you don't take Johnny Newton, <laughs> Keith, you're a fool. Yes. Uh, but but I think, like, there's a lot of layers to what those guys have done and just in terms of stability. And kudos to this coaching staff for being able to keep these guys around and develop them and, and to buy the faith that they did uh, from these guys. Like, they could have gone in the transfer portal and made a lot of money. Like if Johnny Newton wanted to do that, Isaiah Williams wanted to do that, they could have done that. But they believed in the staff. Illinois did a good job of, of making sure that uh, their NIL efforts were good for those guys. But they could have left. You know, a guy like Gabe Ackes could have left. But but they've kept those guys around. Uh, I know Gabe's an underclassman in this conversation, but um, I, I think that 
Brett Bielman deserves credit for for getting these guys to believe as well. Uh, he almost got Kendrick Green. He tried to get Kendrick Green to stay, but he got all these other guys to stay, and that's been huge. I think we should add it. It's not just he got their faith. Like he got them to be like very forward, outwardly, um, I guess, vocal in his faith of this st- or their faith of this staff. Like that matters. Like what Johnny Newton told us, and I know we told this story on here before that last month, earlier this month, he went out to eat with. Jeremiah Warren, Malik Elzey. I don't think he was sitting there saying, guys, this ain't it. Like, he was telling them about his journey, I would have to imagine, and kind of how he navigated from being that freshman in 2020 into now. And, like, that's that outward showing of faith. Or every time you put a camera in front of these guys, I don't get the sense that it's a bunch of BS that, that they're talking about with this coaching staff. I think it's yeah. it's meaningful and it's truthful and like that matters when your best players are standing up there and it's you know kind of pounding the table for your staff like that matters out on the recruiting trail yeah when you have Sidney Brown or Devin Witherspoon able to do that as well hey get on the phone right. with this guy like that that's pretty important number three what from the Iowa loss must Illinois improve on the most well if, we, if we're just dialing it into the Iowa loss mm-hmm. you got it it's it's late game. You, you've got to capitalize on those key moments. It, it's not like it was a complete late game disaster, but there's three or four plays, three or four moments that let it get away. Now you can make the argument that five other times they were able to to do that, but if we're just zoning in on Iowa, it's just those one or two plays that help you either put it away or, or go down and make that game-winning field goal or touchdown or whatever the case is. Like you, it's just sustain that because they played pretty well from the second, third, and most of the fourth quarter, yeah. and then it slipped there late. And I think that's that's where that improvement has to come. Yeah, you know, and there, there's heavy lifting in you know Illinois being able to close out some of these games, but you know, you, you think back to that Indiana game, the defense kind of broke down late too. Right, like they gave up 15 points in the fourth quarter. Wisconsin gave up 18 points in the fourth quarter. The offense needs to do a better job hanging onto the ball, making the plays when they are there. But despite some of those wins, like Maryland went down and scored late to force the field goal. Toledo, right? Toledo had nine points in the fourth quarter. Like some of those defensive breakdowns really need to improve. The offense needs to hold onto the ball a little bit longer. Um, listen, John Paddock had a ridiculous couple games there. He was not very good. Uh, against Iowa, in my opinion. I, I going back and, and watching that film, some of the decision-making wasn't great. There were opportunities on those third and fourth down plays. Got the ball batted down. Kudos to, to Joe Evans. The Iowa defense is way better than anything he'd played so far this year. But they need they need more plays from their quarterback. Uh, he, he missed some plays where guys were open. I, I remember one, he almost threw an interception out of bounds. Tip Ryman's wide open in the middle of the field. He just didn't go through his progressions as well. And maybe Iowa's defense has a lot to do with that. You're you're a little bit more flustered, uh, but they need better quarterback play, to, to be honest with you. And it's it's weird to say after what he did against Minnesota and Indiana, but that third down and two, he had Reggie Love open in the flat if he would have gone through his progressions a little bit more. He had Tip Ryman open uh, on that fourth and two. Now, maybe the ball gets batted down anyway. Maybe Barry Lunny needs to get the pocket moving a little bit more, but uh, he missed some throws. Tip Ryman, I know that should have been a pass interference, but when he came open, like that should be a touchdown throw. That needs to be a, a touchdown throw. Um, so just little plays like that. They they need to make those plays. He wasn't able to make it against a great Iowa defense. Are you at all surprised that Brett Bielma didn't bring the quarterback conversation into Monday and beyond? 
I mean, he could absolutely surprise everybody and, and go with Luke Altmaier, right? If he if yeah. he wanted to. Um, no. Do you think he does? Because I tried to pin them down. Not pin them down. So that seems more aggressive. But I asked, like, yeah. when you guys decided to go with John, did you know this was going to be a two-week deal or was that a decision you made on Saturday? I never really got a clear answer on that. So that leads me to wonder if there is a window there. But yeah. I don't think so. I saw I interrupted you. I, I think it's an interesting dynamic. No, we mentioned this after the Iowa game. Like, I, I don't think he wants to do the Michael Scott snip, snap, snip, snap. But I do think – if, if this is a struggle early on, you can't be afraid to, to bring Altmaier in. Like, I, I don't think that was going to happen against Iowa. And, and there wasn't, like, one big moment where it's like, oh, this guy doesn't have it. Like, he didn't throw a pick, even though two or three of them could have been. Um, you didn't have those moments, and you were in the game. You don't want to pull Luke Alt, put Luke Altmaier in there in a one-point game or anything like that. But if they get down, like, two touchdowns or something like that, like, you got you got to bring a guy in that that has shown he can make plays and, and lead a team back. So, I, I think the leash will be a little bit shorter this week, given everything that is on the line. But no, I I think this team still believes in that guy. And, and listen, there weren't like anything, wasn't anything that was like, oh my gosh, because it's it's Iowa. But there were just a few plays that could have been winning plays that he wasn't able to make. And then of course the wide receivers had two drops, um, especially the Casey Washington one late. Would have been a tough contested catch, but we've seen him make those before. Uh, they just weren't able to make those 50-50 plays. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't expect them to be inconsistent in terms of going with this guy one day and this guy the next. Um, and Northwestern's defense is not Iowa's defense, so I think he'll have plenty no, of opportunities. it's not. It's not. But I, I do think, and I know it's been discussed since the game, the variable to me is you're very, very thin at running back, as we covered, and one guy – moves very 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 well Luke Altmaier is a very good runner uh, I, I I think you could have used that against Iowa I don't know that it changes the scope of the Iowa game maybe he has a pick here or something we don't know that's revisionist but yeah maybe you get down or something that matter yeah I mean John Paddock I'll give him this like came close to close to turnovers but he did not have a turnover and against Iowa that is really important and it kept you in the game right all right what is your biggest concern entering the Northwestern game. Number four here, Joey. The answer until it's not to me is your secondary. Because Northwestern, I know I'll let you take the floor on this a little bit. They can throw the ball around a little bit. I don't want to make them look like those old Texas Tech days, yeah. but they, they, they can they can throw the ball. And the secondary's just struggled. I mean, that's it doesn't – at this point, I'm not – I'm less concerned about who's on the other side and more – man, they, they have just not played very good football here as of late. And that is a – that's a concern regardless of who you're playing because if a team can can get some of those like Deacon Hill made, made some critical third down throws against his secondary to move the ball right like you he doesn't he hasn't made a lot of those throws this year let's just be honest about it and, and this, he did against his secondary you can go back to Indiana which was clearly the oh my god what what is going on here moment in the secondary I until it's not man and, and I don't know when it's not that's probably going to be week one next year Right, whether that's you address it in the portal or you let some of these guys get older and let them get through winter and spring and fall, but it's concerning right now. It it is really concerning, and it doesn't seem. I know Aaron Henry is on the one hand. Do you like that he's pressing buttons? Whether that's Macrosetich or, or you go here or there to try to to spark. But you're also in your eleventh game. Like I, you shouldn't be having to press buttons right now in your eleventh game to light a spark. Like that should be. That's something you expect to see in week three or week four, but like that should be kind of solidified, I think. Maybe that's a bad take, but the, the secondary has yeah. been really concerning. 
Yeah, there's no question this is the answer to the question. Because the secondary's been <laughs> bad. Really bad. I've given them an F on my film review each of the last two weeks. They have regressed. Miles Scott has regressed. Taz Nicholson has regressed. Xavier Scott, who I've liked all season, has not made as many plays the last couple games. I, I, he's a stalwart of what they're going to do the next couple years. Uh, and then you're throwing in young guys that, that are making mistakes. Nicario Harper, they, they didn't trust to put out there. Tyler Strain, did he even play? Against Iowa, I don't think so. I don't think he had a snap. They they brought in Caleb Patterson for him, and he gets a penalty on his first play. So uh, everything seems to be going wrong for the most part for this group in that we've seen coverage busts that just weren't happening really early in the season that are giving teams big plays. Uh, Caleb Brown had a huge play. Zach Toby had a coverage bust uh, on that one. When they ran zone in the, the red zone, nobody was on the back end of it. There were three guys covering Caleb Brown on that one play. That communication stuff is, has been a real issue for them here recently. We know the penalty issues that have been happening, but run support from the safeties has, has been a struggle at times. Clayton Bush has played well the last couple of weeks since he's been inserted, what, halftime basically of that Minnesota game, but he had a key error late in the game that led to that touchdown. And then you throw Macrosetich and Zach Toby into some of these situations, and they are learning on the job. So I think... The struggles of the veterans not to be reliable and, and not making plays, and I felt like they got too aggressive and trying to undercut some routes against Iowa. Like just just knock those down. I, I I've been wanting the team to make more plays, but that's more like the free safety, like these 50-50 balls. Um, you guys got to be sound, and they are they are not a, a unit they can trust right now. We've seen Aaron Henry struggle with what to do. Do I run more zone? Do I run man? He has run more man here recently, just to. You know, less coverage bus uh, and to let his defensive lineman get after it a little bit but uh, Northwestern has a good passing attack like it's not great but Iowa's wasn't great and they kind of tore you up at times so Ben Bryant's a legit Big Ten starting quarterback to transfer from Cincinnati and they got three good wideouts AJ Henning is like third in receiving yards but he he's a big play threat Cam Johnson and Bryce Kurtz are coming off some big games I'm really concerned about that matchup, about Northwestern's passing attack against Illinois' secondary. To that point, I'm going to go through since that Maryland game, which is where we really kind of saw this season kind of on the upswing. You give up 287 passing to Maryland, 140 to Wisconsin, 167 to Minnesota. And to be fair, my, my point being the second half against Minnesota feels like the outlier since the Maryland game, where they actually played much better the first half. You'll remember how many times yep. they had coverage bus that put them in a bad position. Indiana, 289. Iowa, 167. That's not a huge number, but it's Iowa. So that's huge by Iowa numbers, right? I mean, that's and, and go, trying to crap on a 9-2 program. They, they don't throw the ball that well. And go back to that Wisconsin game, how many plays the secondary did not make. Like, the, the Tyler Strain play obviously stands out, but, you know, Locke tore him up really late in that game. Uh, Allen made some big runs, and he was a huge reason they won. But uh, secondary did not make plays in that one either. No, it's it's the Illinois has won since since that Maryland game pretty much in spite of the secondary because the plays aren't being made either. That's the thing. Like you, you could probably stomach some yards if and they have held to field goals. I don't want to act like all of these yards equal a ton of touchdowns because they they have Indiana sure did. But they're not making those plays. Like, it felt like a year ago. Now, you had mm -hmm. three NFL draft picks and a veteran in Kendall Smith. The numbers back it up, but it felt like the interceptions came at, like, 
oh man, they needed that one, right? Yeah. And like, you're just not seeing those turnover numbers here and that's concerning. And I want to address this because the uh, Alani fan base's ire has gone from one coordinator to the other here in recent weeks. <laughs> like Gosh. Aaron Henry, I didn't like against Iowa when you dropped eight into coverage, into zone, and only rushed three on third down against Iowa, a stationary quarterback. Northwestern, Ben Bryant is a stationary quarterback. I think that should be in the Illini's favor. I would rather go man with a single high safety uh, against this team, but you also just need your guys to win. Like you got to be able to trust your guys to have man coverage or, or to know and to do these things. So if there's any criticism of Aaron Henry for me for these last couple weeks, it's getting your guys to be ready for the moment, to, to be consistent in their fundamentals. That would be my bigger criticism right now because I think it's more about you know, executing the fundamentals and executing what is called rather than the actual play call most of the time. Early in the season, that Kansas game was not a good look for Aaron Henry, right? Like, that was an issue. I don't think that's been the issue here recently. It's just more execution for the most part than anything for me on that back end. It's angles. It's missed tackles. It's one little – I mean, shout out to Clayton Bush who after the Iowa game stood up and said, hey, that like – you and I hadn't really seen the exact rewatch. So when he said that, I was like, wait, was it really? But like one little slip up, right? Like one, and there's been several bigger slip ups, but. Well, in that third, third and eight late in the game, you know who that was? That was Johnny Newton. Johnny Newton went out of his gap trying to make a play and that ends up being a, a huge play. So it's not just, you know, Clayton Bush or this guy. It's, you know, maybe Illinois is trying to press a little bit too much, but just an example of it's, it's not just those guys, but it's more often right. than not the secondary lately. Yeah, and it's the fundamental stuff that you just haven't you, – you don't see out of, of what they want this program to be. And some of that's youth. Maybe some of it's pressing in a season that you've kind of felt like you had to press a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But, man, it, it's been rough. Number five, Joey, what is your biggest reason for confidence entering the Northwestern game? I'm going to let you start this one okay. because I have a couple thoughts and I want to parse through them in my brain. Creedthoughts.gov. Uh, the defensive front is playing really well. Not Creed Bratton. Creed the music. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the defensive front is playing really well for Illinois, and Northwestern's pass protection is bad. They've allowed 46 sacks this season. They are now the worst pass protection in the Big Ten. Congratulations, Illinois is now second worst in the Big Ten. They allow more than four sacks per game. Illinois has given up 38 sacks, Northwestern 46. The next worst team is 27. So we could see a lot of pass rush uh, in this game. But Seth Goldman, six sacks over the last five games. He's playing like a potential NFL player, right? Uh, Johnny Newton, we know what he can do, uh, and I expect him to have a really good game. The other guy that's kind of gone on the radar here is Gabe Ackes is playing really well. I think these have been his three best games in a row. One was on the defensive line. Two have been at outside linebacker. He has three sacks over the last two games. I don't know if we talk about him enough of of what he's been able to do, and he's playing really well against the run. So uh, Northwestern Cam Porter is a good running back. He's not special, but he is physical in between the tackles. So he'll have to tackle well, but you like what the linebackers are doing, especially Dylan Rosiak. But uh, I think they're going to be able to put pressure on Ben Bryant um, and hopefully allow their secondary to only have to cover for a few seconds rather than, you know, six, seven seconds because that probably doesn't bode well for Illinois. But I think the defensive front is going to give Illinois a really good chance to win this game. Yeah, I want to add on to the game. I talked to Charlie Bowen yesterday, and I said, you know, if you remember early in the season, Brett Bielema, Charlie Bowen kind of indicated that it's a little frustration to not get home. Right, like Gabe Ackes came in intending to have 
this big sophomore leap and statistically early on that didn't go out. So I said, does just getting some of those, let him breathe a little bit, let him just kind of settle back into who he is. And Charlie said, I would say it's, I would probably say it's confidence more than anything and just kind of joy in playing better as a team. We dropped a game the other day at Iowa, but going into Iowa, we were three and one in the last four leading up to that. And the sack numbers were up playing better as a team and producing in a moment and producing is a moment of happiness for everybody involved and a confidence builder. Like, I don't think that's exclusive to Gabe Ackes, as he mentioned. That defensive front is starting to f- kind of find itself a little bit, especially the outside linebackers. When for the first six games, that's all we asked of Charlie Bowen. Why can't you get pressure? How do you get pressure? Why, why, why this or that? Now they're getting there. I think some of that was play home. calling with Aaron Henry, too, to be honest. Agreed. I, I agree with that. Yeah, and, and Charlie Bowen also said, hey, we all had to kind of learn each other. Like, this is my first year here. And I know no one wants to hear that, right? Because they have the spring and the winter and summer or fall, whatever. But like, there is an element of that. But I think it's more you're not trailing 35 to 14 where teams can just run the heck out of it. And you're being able to get opportunities to get back there and get after the quarterback. And I think Minnesota is when I notice it, Jim. We go down to the field before the game. You do your WCIA pregame. I wander aimlessly. And... <laughs> The, the outside linebackers, I don't know if you noticed this afterwards, they were very like, hey, we're the best unit on this field. There was a little more uh, cursing involved in, in that. But like you kind of felt this outwardness about them, that this like, hey, this is kind of who we are. And you've seen that start to, to really take shape over the last couple of weeks. And it's, it's impacted the defensive front. And I know early on it was, well, hey, well, Johnny Newton got all this attention, and he did. But I think you've got to give credit to these outside backers for making plays. There's Indiana. Gabe Ackes just rolled over a guard. Literally, <laughs> you remember the play, Jeremy? Just yes. literally pushed him right down and got back there. Like, that is the Gabe Ackes we thought we'd see this season. Well, and to be honest with you, we've been asking, like, this defense, you've got to make game-changing plays. And the secondary is not doing it. The secondary is not doing it. Gabe Ackes almost had a game-changing play. That forced fumble, which was almost his second sack of the game, um, that forced fumble could change the game. Now, it just you got a bad bounce. Iowa was able to recover it. But if if you get that ball in Iowa territory, it's a different game. So the bounce didn't go your way there. But we're seeing Seth Coleman end drives. We're seeing Gabe Ackes almost end drives here. Like That is what you need out of this group when your secondary is struggling so much. And I think they're going to have a huge opportunity. The other guy I want to mention is, is Denzel Daxon is playing really well at, at nose tackle. He's, he's had three or four straight really good games. He was really impactful, forced some incompletions with his pressure. Um, that's a guy that in, next year, he's got another year of eligibility. I think they, they want to bring him back, and uh, I think he would come back. Like That guy could be a huge part of what you do up front, given your questions at the two spots beside him. So I just wanted to mention Daxon, too. Kind of some Calvin Avery flashes. Yes. Not consistently like Calvin Avery was, but flashes to get back there and, and kind of um, push that center, push that guard back. I would say my biggest reason outside of, I mean, just big picture, Illinois has got stars. Like Johnny Newton is a star. Keith Randolph's a draft pick. You can go down the list. Isaiah Williams is probably going to be a first-team all-Big Ten player. I'll take that in the big picture, right? Like I will take that over a Northwestern team that just doesn't have – as many stars and so I've, as i say that it's kind of a cheap answer but i'll, I'll no I'll, I'll, I, I think you're right i think the top of this roster is is the strength is better right now right? yeah and, and but i mean i'll also say northwestern doesn't run the ball particularly well and i like despite that fourth quarter at iowa which you cannot have a team like wisconsin did feel comfortable on third and, and long to run the ball to get a first down that's not a good sign 
But I, I thought they they stopped the run better against Iowa than I would have imagined going into that. Now, of course, the, the issues were in the back end. 114 yards, but it was much less than that before that fourth quarter still matters, as we talked about earlier. Yeah. But, I, you know, you held Minnesota to 93. Indiana had 162. Wisconsin had 139. A lot of that was Braylon Allen in the fourth quarter. Goes back to the fourth quarter conversations. 93 against Maryland. Like, I, I just like what – I feel like they've been – passably more consistent in the run they've got to do it a whole game like that's where those numbers are wildly different but northwestern's rushed for fewer than 100 yards one two three four the last five yeah yeah and i'm i don't want to take anything from northwestern they played wisconsin without braylon allen it's completely different team without braylon allen and purdue didn't have hudson card last week purdue was awful and like I was just watching it before we, we came on here. They had so many turnovers. So as long as Illinois doesn't do that, they have the advantage in the trenches. Like Illinois is, is better in the trenches. I'm concerned about not having Caden Fagan. I think that was a big – that played big in Iowa. Um, John Paddock has to bounce back in the secondary. But I do think in those trenches, uh, Illinois should be better. All right, number six, Joey. What, hold on, yeah. one to ten. One to ten. How much do you believe that Aiden Lawford is actually a viable candidate to take a snap on? Saturday. Brett Bielema mentioned we should we should clarify for someone who missed it. He was out for the season. It was a three to four week recovery window for a small meniscal tear. Brett Bielema told us this in Minnesota, which would have effectively ended his season given the timeline left. Brett Bielema said he's progressing faster. I believe I, I would I would feel confident saying he's been active in practice in some capacity. Um, but but what do you take you two? Uh, I, I, as you were talking, I, I downgraded to a one point five. Like I just. At this point, Nick Fidanzo's healthier. Nick Fidanzo had a carry last week. I think he's probably a better option right now than, than rushing Aiden Lawfrey back. I don't think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. If you make a bowl game, Aiden Lawfrey can play there. Like That makes a lot more sense to me, but uh, I think that was just thrown out there just to be like, hey, he could play at some point This if we get to a bowl game. I don't – what are we, three weeks out from that injury? Yeah, I don't see it. I, I think it's, it's a way for Brett Bielema to – to just try to throw a curveball yeah. at Northwestern. Uh, I'll also say, like, Nick Fidanzo ran hard in his one carry that we saw. He moved the pile. I actually joke, look to you and joking here, I am the one doing it, saying, boy, is this going to lead to, I'd like to see more Nick Fidanzo. <laughs> Fidanzo, excuse me. I, I think I think it at least gives him confidence I can run the football. I can hold on to the football. Like, that's the most important thing probably as a backup running back at this point. Uh, but I would expect Reggie Love to get uh, 95% yes. of the carries. And the um, other 5% probably goes to Isaiah Williams. That's right. Number six, how important is winning this game for the Illini program, Joey? It's huge. It's huge. And I, I've got a story coming about that. I talked to, to Charlie Bowen, to Bart Miller, to George McDonald. It, on a lot of levels, right, like you want to show – as Charlie Bullen mentioned, a bowl game, even though a lot of people thought Illinois would have more than six wins if they get to six wins coming into the season. But it does show a program, back-to-back bowl games for the first time in more than a decade, taking that step forward on the rise. Uh, some people would probably take issue with, with saying this is on the rise after fewer wins than a year ago. But I, I think it says that your program is is trending upward to go back to back-to-back bowl games, but it's the 15 practices. It's uh, And Bart Miller made a really good point that I hadn't really zoomed out and thought of it in this capacity. You go 15 practices over the course of four years, or five if you're a red shirt, that's what, 60 extra practices in four years, 75 in, in five years. Do those matter? Mm-hmm. Those matter because a lot of those reps 
a handful of those reps, especially early on before you get into the real prep mode, are to your development guys, your second string guys, your third string guys who just frankly don't get a lot of reps during the course of a normal week. So getting them a handful, whether that's five to eight practices where they're they're doing a, a bulk of the work, like that is it's important. Like that's why you see programs yeah. that go to bowl games every year continue to kind of avoid those serious, um, you know, down seasons. The down seasons happen, but it's less consistent. I mean, when you think about it, it's it's one game. It could be decided by a bounce of the ball, one bad decision. You know what I mean? Um, but you you break all the points. Like I think of Donovan Leary gets a ton of reps during these developmental practices early in the bowl season. Right, and that's probably your backup quarterback next year. That's a really important thing to happen. You need wide receivers to step up next year. So getting Canary Wilcher, Malik Elzey, um, Colin Dixon, Sean Miller, Miller, those guys extra reps. You need a tackle to step up next year. Brandon Henderson, welcome. Like you are going to be our left tackle for the first five practices of bowl practices. That is going to be important. What what do we see out of Mountis Moore? Can he can he? be in the competition for the two deep next year um those defensive linemen alex bray jeremiah warren they need those guys to play next year they're going to be in the rotation so those guys getting those reps is so important recruiting i don't know if it makes the biggest difference i think it's probably balanced out by having johnny newton go in the top 20 of the draft and a couple other guys i think that's most important to a lot of these people uh in recruiting but i think with the fan base this is huge. You give it to, If you win this game, like we know how much the dialogue on our message board changes from game to game based on who scored last in these last five games. Like if you win this game, there's a good vibe. There's a good vibe with the program. Even if you're going to Detroit or New York, like the fact that you get to watch your team for another game, the fact that you can say we went to back-to-back bowl games, I think that's going to matter in ticket sales. I think that's going to matter in just the excitement and the vibes and the discussion in your fan base, whether it's negative for the rest of the offseason or it's like yeah we had a bad start but we won four of our last six games to get to a bowl game that that's a completely different thing rather than we were there right there for a bowl game and then we lost back-to-back games to end the year like i think that matters in the discussion the talk about your program whether it's recruiting or with the fan base so this is huge i I think it's just a, a huge game for perception even if nationally it's not very relevant um but also beating your rival in Northwestern and kind of ending this talk about David Braun for a week and saying, hey, we are we are the big brother with winning three straight in a row. Uh, I think that is significant for this Illinois football program because even if it's a not underwhelming year, like if it's six and six is an underwhelming year for Illinois football, boy, how far we've come. Yeah, wasn't that what everybody wanted until it happened? And I get it. I understand that last season – elevated or, or accelerated yeah and i would say i would say missed opportunities this season underwhelming at, at six wins being the un, under the over under but i'm just saying like if they got to six and six in a bowl game and that's a disappointment or underwhelming this program has come a long way and uh they're building something i could not agree more uh what is more important to you the pers- in your eyes not to you the perception of the development. I don't, and we're splitting hairs, right? We are absolutely splitting hairs on that. Um, for 2024, it's the the practices. Uh, for the 2024 season, it's the practices. For recruiting the class of 2025 or ticket sales, um, 
it's it's the perception. So yeah, I, 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 I didn't answer your question, but you didn't. You <laughs> took a note from Bielma on that one a little bit. Um, I, I would say right now it's perception. Yeah, because for for however much you do or don't believe in program momentum having people sour on this season a year after they finally felt like they could love again it's it's hard it's hard and you, and you want to go out on the trail and when you're competing against who you're competing against and a lot of these especially high school recruitments you want to be able to say hey we're there too mm-hmm. we're, we're making a bowl game yes the meineke car care land of lakes butter bowl <laughs> is not the same as the rose bowl or, or the rely quest bowl but we're there and we're you know one play away against wisconsin or we're uh, Nebraska disaster away from, from being further along. But I, yeah, man, like I, I think that matters a lot right now where this program is. Picks to click. Last week I picked John Paddock. You picked Tip Ryman. I don't think either of us won that. I came close with a near near touchdown with Tip Ryman, which you had you did. promised to me it was a winner. But no. That was one yard away. Um, so who do you got? Pick to click for offense this week. Feels like a Reggie Love. Feels like a Reggie Love game. I, I don't know why I'm going with that because I, I think you could easily make an argument elsewhere on the offense. But I feel like Reggie Love, he ran well against Northwestern a year ago. Mm-hmm. Seems like a guy who just kind of, as Brett Bielma said, and I, I kind of rolled my eyes the first time he said it, Reggie Love just kind of turns up in moments, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like Caden Fagan is very cons- was during the, the time we saw him very consistent over the course of you know, you knew what you were getting. Reggie Love just kind of turns off like, oh, dang, he, he showed up. So I think it's I think it's him. Can I take a group? You can take – yeah, I, I wanted to guess. I, but I, yes, I, I'm going to have parameters on this. This is a game where Brett Bielma's identity needs to win out. And this is a game where I think they should have an advantage in the trenches. I'm going to go with the Illinois offensive line to get over 100 rushing yards and to allow fewer than three sacks. If I got that, would that that work? Because this is a game where you want to impose your will. Like, Northwestern's got some good defenders. Their linebackers are really good. Um, But this is a game where you want an offensive line that has played really well. And I thought played well enough to win against Iowa. Did they dominate? No. But I thought they played well enough to win against a very good defensive front. There were some issues at guard uh, in that game yet again, and that's why you saw a rotation. But... Isaiah Adams is playing his best football. Julian Pearl has played really well for most of the season. Josh Kruitz has played well. Zach Chrysler had some moments last week that were not very good, but he do, he has played way better uh, at guard here recently. So I'm going to go with the Illinois offensive line. How does this work if I have the running back and your parameters are 100 yards rushing? I think we – that's a good point. I think we can see if – like Reggie Love makes the plays. Like if he's making okay. people miss and things like that. But hey, maybe, Anytime we can leave it to your discretion in a head-to-head battle, we've got to do that. So I appreciate that. Well, we might not revisit this because I don't know if we'll have another yeah. game. So we'll yeah, see about that's that. That's fair. That's fair. Oh, if, if I win, I will, without question, revisit this in some capacity. Okay. If you win. I, I've been that unfair with, with awarding those winners. <laughs> no, I just need to take victory laps. My, okay. I don't take a lot of laps anywhere, so victory <laughs> laps need to do well done. Defensive pick to click. Last week I had Rosiak. You had Clayton Bush. I'm going to go with Dylan Rosiak after watching that film. Bush played well for most of that yeah. game, but Rosiak was probably the best Illini in the field. No, nah, you lead with this one and I'll, I'll circle back. All right, I'm going to go. I mentioned it already in this podcast. 
I think Gabe Ackes is playing really good football right now. Uh, three sacks the last two games, had that forced fumble. He's making some huge drive-killing plays. Uh, so I'm going to go with Gabe Ackes having a good day against a, a Northwestern offensive line that I think has some some big question marks. So uh, outside linebackers playing well. Seth Coleman's been awesome, but I'll go with Gabe Ackes in this one. I'm going to go with Keith Randolph getting healthier. Uh, to your point about the offensive line, I feel like – this is kind of one of those games where we know this is his last game at Memorial Stadium. We don't know if it's his last game at, at Illinois, regardless of outcome. I feel like he's been a little bit overlooked because of the injuries and he's missed time and, and he hasn't had the Johnny Newton insane production. But this feels like a game where he kind of goes out. Like Keith Randolph seems like he's a guy who rises to those moments, rises to the, the story, I, I guess. So I'll take him. Good stuff. Anything else? That is the least analytical thought of all time for Keith Randolph. No, it's a good storyline, though. No, I, I was. We should talk about those two declaring one. I just, I'm, I'm glad they mentioned it. I'm glad this was, and it was so obvious, right? It was so obvious. But I'm glad this wasn't one of those. Well, I don't know. I don't know. And, and next thing you know, it's the middle of December, and, and you still don't don't well, know. And, and we let's have this. I, I don't have a huge discussion on this, Joey. If Johnny Newton doesn't want to play in the bowl game, who the hell cares? There are a lot of people who really care. Get the hell out of here. Like This is different than an NCAA tournament. This is different than if Illinois Illinois was in the Big Ten championship game, Johnny Newton would play. The Meineke Car Care Bowl, if Illinois gets there, does not matter. And what? Illinois has got to make a bowl game first. But Johnny Newton has millions of dollars to lose. There's no point of taking that injury risk, just like Sidney Brown – and Chase Brown did not, just like Devin Witherspoon did not. And you know what? That worked out really well for them. They did not get hurt, and they got a lot of money. They have earned that. They have given a lot to this program over the last couple of years. Is it a selfish decision? Yes, but they should be selfish at this point of their careers. They're on the verge of making tons of money, and Johnny Newton's on the verge of probably making a $20 million signing bonus. It's not worth a game against the ninth SEC school or ninth ACC school. It is not. So if, if you think he needs to play to entertain you and win a game that really doesn't matter, it is a glorified exhibition. That's what bowls are. Like, if you're not in the playoff, if you're not in this group of six or the New Year's Six Bowl, these are just glorified exhibitions. And they're fun. And you get to see your team play. And you get to go somewhere. Maybe it's not as great as last year <laughs> Tampa. But that's all this is. So I know most people applaud these guys on their way out. And maybe I'm talking to the 10% on social media, which I try not to do all that much. But these guys have earned that, and that's all I have to say. Like, they just – they are not skipping the Northwestern game because they care about their program, right? Like, they are still playing in this game because they know it's it's important. The bowl game just is not. And they should be getting ready for the draft and making sure they're healthy for the biggest job opportunity of their lives. Yeah, I also want to add Johnny Newton, who, to be clear, has said he won't play in a bowl game. And, you know, there's some thought that he basically, like, I I don't think a lot of people knew how the conversation went. And I don't know if they envisioned him with a prepared statement saying all these things. That's not how it went. You ask questions, you get answers, you follow up. Uh, But he is the guy who's just going to, who punts on postseason for the heck of it, right? He very much very, very, very much considered going to the NFL after last season. Mm-hmm. Very, very much considered it. He also played in the Relia Quest Bowl. Mm-hmm. He did. And was some of that because it was in Tampa? 
or maybe he wasn't fully as we now see fully on his decision. I don't know. But he played in a postseason game that was meaningless while he entertained his NFL draft options. So did Keith Randolph. The difference for Johnny Newton year to year is you go from a potential third round pick to money that changes your entire life, whether you get another contract or a single penny after you put your name to that paper or not. It is life-changing money for a father, for a guy who has dreamed about this moment, who has a very, I mean, $20 million. Dude, I wouldn't go anywhere. I wouldn't even, no. Like, I get it. I understand you want to go to these and as, as a, fan, a fan you're selfish as a fan you're selfish you want to see, you want to see your best players you want to go out with a win and obviously johnny newton's presence without question puts you in a better position to go out with a win but man johnny newton is the reason you're not the sole reason but a very big reason you're in the conversation to go to a bowl game again why you were in a bowl game last year he has more than paid his dues to the university of illinois scholarships that you are not required to pay back by the way and he's more than paid back with his value on this football team take away his nil and scholarship money joey um, take oh it my away. god heaven i look yeah, man, the other side I, of this joey it. it wouldn't be terrible if alex bray and jeremiah warren played significant no. snaps in the bowl game and, and let's also look at the, the timing here johnny newton was asked again i want to make that clear on november 21st for a potential bowl game that is going to be in a month you don't know where you're going, so you probably don't have tickets. This isn't the day before where you get there and you're like, all right, it's Johnny Newton time, and he's not there. Yep. You know going into it. I I get it, man. I, I You want to see your best players, and watching him play is a joy, especially if you're a fan and you get to see him go out there and, and represent this on the football field. But, man – Man, it's come on. It, it is a reason to enjoy this game against Northwestern and, and and take it in of what you're watching with Johnny Newton, one of the greatest defensive linemen in Illinois history. Potentially, he's going to have a plaque at, in Grange Grove. He's going to have it. He's going to be an All American. He's going to have back to back years. His presence alone, his development alone, is going to help you find. And I'm not going to say find the next Johnny Newton. That's cliche, lame. And Johnny Newton's really good. But find another defensive lineman who's talented because of what you've done with him and how you developed him. If he doesn't want to play, shake his hand if you see him there yeah. and tell him thanks. But, man, he's more than earned that. So is Keith Randolph if he goes down that road. And he's one of five defenders in the Nagurski Trophy uh, list, which is top defender in, in college football, and he ain't last. Like, he's like there's an interesting conversation. Like, if he got a couple more sacks in this game of could Johnny Newton be in that mix, I don't know if he'll win it because he's playing for – five and six football team right now um and the defense isn't you know kind of average in in college football but uh enjoy watching his last performance because i'm sure it'll be good isaiah williams we'll see you might want to enjoy that one because one of the greatest wide receivers in illinois history which is pretty amazing uh given that he was a quarterback keith randolph obviously and then guys like casey washington caleb griffin um Tariq barnes Swim. Julian Pearl, Julian Pearl, Isaiah Adams, like just program guys that have been really good. And Isaiah Adams and Julian Pearl have been really good uh, the last two years. So, um, yeah, just enjoy those guys. Could be the last game for a lot of those guys. Absolutely, man. It's we'll see, we'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens on Saturday. Yep. I'm not used to recording this on Wednesday. <laughs> Joey Wagner, thank you as always, buddy. Happy Thanksgiving, man. Great stuff and insight from Joey Wagner and Matt Fortuna. Thank you for their time and insight. And thank you to all of you for all your support for Alana Inquirer. We've done doing this seven years now, and uh, the support has been awesome. So on this Thanksgiving, I am always thankful for all of you 
uh, for investing your time and resources into us. It is appreciated, and uh, we hope we give you back as much as possible. We try to work hard uh, and give you the best coverage uh, of your program, the, the coverage that we feel you guys deserve. So thank you to all of you. Uh, I got to thank you to my wife and kids for, for dealing with uh, this pursuit of mine and letting me pursue my dream and uh, a lot of time away from home at times, a lot of late nights uh, doing all of this, but uh, couldn't do it without them as well. So we always appreciate your support. If you're not a VIP member, now is the best time to do it. 75% off. That's $224 a month, $29 for your first year a VIP membership. Thank you to all our VIP members, more than 5,000 strong. Uh, you guys have been the backbone of what we do and, and allow us to do what we do. And uh, if you're just a podcast listener, appreciate you guys as well. Uh, all the people on the YouTube channel as well. That's been another way. Uh, we've seen a lot of growth uh, on the Alana Inquirer side of things. So appreciate all of your support. Everybody have a great weekend. Take care of each other. And we'll talk to you next time right here on the Alana Inquirer podcast. Bye, everybody. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts.